boom, boom, boom. We are going live, going live, going live. And good evening. Um, Welcome to uh, Next Metal Journalist Live and episode 15. Um, sponsored by Armour Scaffolding, as always, um, for a free estimate. Telephone 077 110210. And also, dun, 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 no mean city clothing um, for all your clothing needs. Uh, bespoke uh, and printing. Um, tonight I have uh, motivational live speaker Stephen Simmons, um, a good friend of mine. Um, we met when he bought my book. Um, hi, Stephen. Uh, welcome, as always. Oh, mate. Uh, thanks for getting in, involved, uh, finally. I know, right? We were supposed to do last week, but I... Um, I broke down. Um, let me just get this up. Um, tonight we are speaking about suicide. Um, so it's not going to be an easy one. Um, so there is a, a trigger warning at the start of this. Um, some people may find it difficult, um, but be rest assured, we find it difficult too. Um, but I, I want to be able to tackle. Uh, the uh, subjects that uh, some other people don't, uh, and suicide is one that's prevalent in both my life and Stephen's life. Um, so I think what we're going to do is we're just going to um, share a bit about our stories and we're just going to have a chat about it if anybody wants to join in. There is a feed on here, uh, and I'll keep my eye on that. Um, hi, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm so glad they're actually covering this subject because I know when we're talking about what did we want to talk about, I think for me, this is a subject that kind of almost came out straight away. And, and I think there's that sense that um, I, I think you might agree, you might disagree. I think as men, we're not really still that great about talking about um, the deeper issues, you know, our real struggles, um, you, you know, and, and so... You know, it's not the sort of thing you go down the pub, is it, and go, oh, mate, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm thinking about ending it all. I mean, you might, but you might not necessarily take it seriously, do you know what I mean? Because, you know, we've all been there in a sense, do you know what I mean? The missus is giving us a hard time, works crap. So you kind of just have another drink and you kind of forget about it, do you know what I mean? But actually, when you leave that moment, you don't know what's going on inside that person's head. Um, and the reality is often is, is a lot darker. Mm. I think that first time that suicide really affected me in my life was um, losing my friend um, uh, I'll call him Cal he's called Cal in the book that's not his real name but um, he threw himself in front of a train um, in front of me um, and that sort of messed me up for most of my life um, the first time I tried suicide I must have been 18, 19 um, and it was just um, two years as my mental health got worse obviously it's it's been sort of a prevalent um part of my life another difficult one yeah i mean i 
I, I, you know, I can't even imagine what that must be like. I mean, obviously, you know, on social media, you see videos of people, you know, jumping in front of trains and stuff and bridges and stuff like that. But I can say I've never kind of experienced that. So, but it's interesting. I, I, I really respect you for bringing that up because obviously I've never experienced somebody else doing it. I mean, I've been to hospital where, you know, friends and relatives have popped tablets and stuff like that. And I've been there alongside them, but I've never actually experienced that kind of being on the receiving end like, like you have. And I can't even imagine, do you, do you want to, I mean, without bringing too many painful stuff up for you, Jack, do you mind just sharing what exactly that was like to actually see that? Because obviously we don't necessarily think about that when we're in that mental state of mind, we often think our life's better off without us. Yeah. We don't necessarily think about who we're leaving behind. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind that. Um, I, you know, I don't mind talking about that you know it was a difficult part of my life but um it's it's in my book um and you know i use my story and my life and my book as a teaching aid so um so basically we we were friends for quite a while it, it stayed with me for quite a bit um he was struggling with his sexuality he was struggling with um his very conservative parents, um, very conservative Christian parents. Um, he didn't really speak to them. Um, he just, he, he really didn't know what to do. So, um, I've been out on a, sorry, I've just been told that people can't hear me. Um, so what I'm gonna do, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, brilliant. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'd um, we've been out on a massive sort of bender. We've both got um, quite a bit of money back on the, back when you got gyros. Oh, gyros! I love them. So we got quite a lot of money back between us. So we went to see. Um, his brother, who was also a bit of an outcast out in, um, out in a place called Tong, which is uh, just you know, between Wakefield and Bradford. And we'd gone out there and we'd had a few days out there. We'd had speed, coke, drink, eat, whatever. Um, lots and lots of cannabis. Um, and then on the way home, um, we were walking. We were walking. Um, we were walking home, and we were walking by a um, a level crossing. And he just looked at me. He told me that he loved me. And then ran, just bolted. Um, the uh, thing had gone down and just bolted the, um, the fence. Um, so you, you, had, you had no idea he was going to do that, no intentions of anything before that? There's no signs, there was no, hey, Jack, you know, I'm feeling a bit down today. We were both on a lot of drugs, to be honest. 
I tried suicide myself a, a couple of times, you know, the, you know, the, the first time I'd ended up in hospital getting a stomach pumped and meeting a, a girl that I went to school with that had some serious mental health issues, but we had a relationship and that was a one of a codependent, um, but it was also a very highly strong uh, drink-fueled relationship. Um, she tried to kill herself a few times. Um, but I couldn't move. I was just, it felt like I was stuck there to the asphalt. Um, I remember somebody just grabbing me and it felt, felt like I was just beating down on the asphalt. Um, didn't know what to do. Um, I had nightmares about it for a long time. And, um, it took me a long time to sort of, Come to terms with that, um, and I had a friend uh, by the name of Darren. He, he lived upstairs from me. I, I lived in a, a bedsit in a place called Horse Fair in Pontefract, and it was like a, a, a layer of bedsits mm -hmm. and then a level of um, masonettes. Uh, my friend Darren lived at the top in in, in the masonettes, and he. Um, He's the one that got me clean. He, he for the first time, he, he tied me to his bed and uh, uh, put the wood, you know, nailed wood to his door so I can't get out and just sat there and just took care of me. But um, I couldn't read or write. I, you, you know, I've, I've had trouble. I had trouble with dyslexia my whole life. Yeah. And when yeah. I was at school, I was brought up in the special school system, so they were. Um, they rewarded bad behavior with good things like going climbing, climbing, caving, canoeing, abseiling, um, kayaking. Yeah. You know, so by the time I left school, I could, I could do all that. I could teach all that. I could barely write my name. Um, but I always had sort of a poetic mind. I always had a sort of beat that went around in my head and I was always to be able to sort of get that out um, and really sort of so Darren, he encouraged me to write, and I, yeah, we taught Tom to do it, and I started writing this poem, and um, I kept screwing it up and throwing it in the bin. I, I got really sort of frustrated with it, and he, um, he typed it up and sent it to a, a local uh, poetry competition, and it won. And uh, then he used to take me to these poetry readings, and I used to go and I used to, you know, perform the poetry. And, uh, you, you, you know, that's when I first started getting a taste of sort of en the entertainment life. But still that, you know, for a long time, I, I numbed myself on pain of that loss. I was used to loss, you know, I was used to fear and rejection and all that. But the loss that losing someone to suicide gives you is just... It's really difficult. In fact, it, would would you say would you say that's different to say um, a different kind of loss? Say losing your pet or losing, I don't know, your grandma or your is 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 that a different kind of loss? I mean, is loss always loss, or it, in what way was it different? Well, I mean, look, I was used to. I have I have a fear of rejection. Right. I've had a fear of rejection. That was the biggest part of my life. I was told on my eighth birthday that I was adopted. 
I love my adoptive parents to bits. Always have done, always will do. Um, you know, but that gave me a fear of rejection. I felt rejected. Um, and that, excuse me, was a the highest common denominator in my bad behavior. Um, so then when I experimented, experimented with drink and drugs, that then was sonified uh, and it came out in different ways. Um, I don't for one minute think that it was the reason that I first tried to kill myself, but it has been, it's been there, but I've lost people to just death and natural causes and stuff like that. And that's hard, you know, to lose people that you love. Um, I've lost people to drugs. Um, you know, I went, I went to eight funerals in seven days. Um, that's hard, especially when it forces you to look at yourself. When you lose somebody to something as senseless or what's seemingly senseless as suicide, it, it don't sit right. It don't sit right on the soul. Um, my first book a couple of years ago, How We Met, um, Amazing book. I uh, the, the poem about Carl is in there, and um, I'd like to share it if I may. Yeah, I mean, please, please do because I mean, there's, I must admit, there's a few, there's a few poems in there I really like, um, and there's one about depression which you share as well, isn't there? Um, that really, really struck home for me. Um, really powerful stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, let, let's do that. Find what um, find where it is. It's been such a long time since I've opened this book properly. It's ridiculous, but um, there is a second edition coming soon. So, um, and and I'm I'm writing thinking that that's not the only book you've written, is it? You've written a few now, haven't you? Yeah, and no, also I wrote one about escaping um, sexual slavery and trafficking uh, after spending time with people that have been trafficked. Um, that made me look at my own sort of life and uh, tackle my own sort of abuse as a younger man which I will I am starting to work through mm -hmm. um, and talk about it does help and I am I'm working through that um, but I also see you know why my behavior was um, why my behavior was as bad as it was and I'm, I'm, I'm right in thinking as well. I mean, I'm not being nosy, but are you doing some sort of like filming around some of the, some of the, the things in your life as well? Because you have done a bit of filming in your, in your um, history, haven't you, Jack? Yeah, yeah. I've done, I've done a few short films that's based on my sort of um, experience. But um, yeah, no, we're, 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 uh, we're looking at making a film of my second book, Between the Streetlights and Red Lights. Um, and uh, the third book that I wrote, um, which was the Paul Massey, uh, Salford Heart, or I co-wrote with Kelly Massey and Steve Rafe. Um, then, you, you know, um, there's a few more in, in the pipeline, but I'm just being told that 
I think people are having trouble hearing me. Um, so before I do that, I'm just going to jump into my audio settings and see what I can do. Um, I do apologize about this, guys. Um, yeah, there we go. I should be better. Um, here we go. There we go. I do apologize about that. Yeah, so. Um, the book is called A Personal Apocalypse, The Poetic Ramblings of a Troubled Man. There is also the um, audio book that is available that was done by the absolutely um, fantastic Paul Andrew Goldsmith, a local actor um, who just did a beautiful job of it. Um, so if you want that, get in touch with me uh, and that can be bought um, from me um, personally. Uh, so, yeah, um, The junkie. It's been so long since I've recited it that I need to read it from the book. But um, this, this, this is about Carl, um, whom I lost in the uh, mid to late nineties. The junkie. Desolation, deprivation, few together in a junkie's haven. Isolation is the most of junkie's heart and sent his mind worlds apart. Idealistically, rehab is what he needs, but his habit is hungry, so his habit he feeds. His soul cries out from deep inside, crying for freedom from the dungeon of lies. His heart is burning, turning, churning in a cycle of despair. So he punches the walls and pulls out his hair. So he changes his habit from drugs to booze. After all, he's got nothing to lose. Then after a while, Jim becomes his master. Now he's back on the road, the road to disaster. But then one day, in a fit of desperation, he ran into a railway station, threw himself onto the track, and now for Junkie, there's no turning back. The train came towards him at a tremendous speed, and there's no more habit for Junkie to feed. Now, I know losing someone um, to suicide is, is difficult, and I know full well what it's like supporting a full-blown drug habit and not being able to fully function, um, not being able to um, not being able to live, not being not even being able to survive, just ticking over. Um, you know, the last time I suppose suicide sat with me was when I was in the hospital this time, six years ago, and it was, you know, I say what the book was born from, but, you know, I was, I, I had a complete, an utter mental, physical, spiritual breakdown. I was convinced that they were uh, force feeding me hallucinogenic drugs. I was convinced that they burnt my chest with acid. Um, I was convinced that they were torturing me because I'd given the world an advanced uh, super tuberculosis pandemic. Um, people were dying around me outside, in fact, outside my um, room. So I thought that God was ending the world and these people were keeping me alive, but torturing me. 
So I wouldn't eat. I was six stone, six ounces at my worst. Um, I had um, sores in my mouth. I had tuberculosis, pleurisy, double pneumonia. Um, I was hallucinating uh, visually and audibly. Um, And it was just such a difficult time. Well, to to say it was difficult would be um, a vast understatement. It was was life-affirming. It was life-changing. It was life-ending. I... When I died that day, I, I, you know, that first day, part of me died. And um, I'm not that man anymore, but I wanted to die. I didn't, I wouldn't eat. Um, I wanted to die by my hand. And my hand alone. Um, I wanted to control the way I died. I thought they were trying to control it for me. So, you know, mental illness has been a a big common factor, but I've also known people that have gone and done it, just popped into the red one minute and then the next minute it's gone. You know. Um, What kind of struck me, like listening to that poem and also listening to your story and kind of thinking about my my experience is that sense of, you know, when you're in that that mental state and it's almost like whatever's led you up to that, it's almost you have lost everything. You feel like you've got no reason to live for. Absolutely no reason to live. And And it's almost a lie in a sense, isn't it? Because... If we, were, if we were in our rational mind, if we're in our clear mind, then obviously we might be able to think of something. And, and the reason I'm sharing this is because it's important that when we get into that state of mind, that we have something called anchors. <clears throat> it's a bit of a, a therapy word, if you like, and I hate getting your therapy, but the reason I want to share that is because if you don't have these solid anchors, these are the things that's going to keep you on this plane rather than escaping. So... So, for example, you know, when you've got that when you've got that sense of nothing to lose, you've really got to hold on tight. Now, I think it might be good to kind of share that. So, I mean, you, you've shared even in this interview alone that. You know, that there are still times in your life you think, Do you know what, I want to escape from it all. I want to I want to just go. I want to I want to end it. Oh, you know, it hasn't just disappeared overnight. I mean, obviously, you're in a better place. But so my question to you is what what on earth keeps you here then, Jack? Um, I know you've got love, a now, family. But... Um, I truly believe I met Jesus on the day that I died. Well, not on the day that I died, but the day that I started to come back, the day that the fog started to leave in the hospital bed and I met Jesus at the end of the bed. My faith um, helps. The fact that I'm coming up to seven years clean helps. That's awesome. Um, the fact that um, the woman who took pity on me that day in the food bank and took me out to buy me a sandwich um, and bought me tobacco is now my wife. Um, you did all right for yourself then, didn't you, Jack? I did all right for myself, yeah. Um, <laughs> Even you know, back then in your lowest place, you did all right for yourself. Yeah. Um, when I met Joe, I was in a, 
I was just coming out of a sort of a massive breakdown. I'd lost everything. Um, I tried to kill myself. I'd gone out and I got a gun. Um, and Whoa. I had a shave. I'd done my hair, got into a suit. I was living in a flat above um, above a furniture shop on Magdalen Street. Um, and it was, you'd go in the door and it was a really thin kitchen. And then uh, there was a window and a wicker chair and then stairs up into an attic bedroom and that was it. And um, I'd drawn the curtains and I'd had a shower and I'd shaved and I'd done my hair, um, put the suit on. Wrote a suicide note to my daughter, to my ex-wife. Rode the gun. My throat, pulled the trigger, jammed. That's the. I'm, I'm, I mean, no offense, Jack, but that, that's a bit of a brutal way to go, isn't it? I mean, that's. I mean, I want, I want to swear, but we're on air. But I mean, that is extreme, isn't it? Please, please, if you want to swear, swear. I, I mean, I, I swore when I started these that I would be nothing but honest, and that's why we're doing things like this. Um. I. Didn't I mean, that must that must have taken a lot to actually go. Do you know what? I'm I'm gonna actually get a gun and I'm gonna because that that's I, that first click that was the hardest after cleaning it and that second one was easy. Um, I mean the, the chances. I mean the chances of guns misfiring actually are not that um, common. Yeah, exactly. Twice. Um, and the third time as I was about to do it, my doorbell went and my phone went at the same time. And it was a, a friend from a church that I was going to at that time. That can't saying, be coincidence, Jack. No, they, they were saying that they really felt they needed to come around and see me. Well, um, you know. But I, I'd lo- I was losing everything. I was losing my mind. I was, I was just, I was going insane. I, I was losing my house. I, I was going to be on the streets. I didn't want my daughter to see the man that I was becoming I did not want I thought that even though it would be painful for her to lose me she would get over it yeah yeah I can understand that but you don't I know this personally you don't you never get over it losing someone that way but that's the way that my mind was I can understand that and you know we went and dropped it off, um, dropped it off in a um, an arm, what's called an armistice box at a police station, which is when you drop guns and knives into a thing that locks up, and you know you can't get prosecuted or anything like that. I was at the lowest point of my life. And then I met this woman that smiled at me. I was staying with a guy, smoking at a UEA. We were doing a lot of a lot of smoke and a lot of drink and a lot of whatever, you know. 
well, that woman that smiled at me, you know, that, that gave me a bit of hope. And, uh, you know, I'd start, you, 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 you know, my mental health went worse. I tried to punch in my ex-wife's door. Um, it wasn't an easy time, but then, you know, things started to get better. I, you know, I, I wasn't using drugs. I wasn't, you know, I'd been clean a little while and I was on prescription medication for depression and, you know, things like anotriptyline and stuff, pain and things. And, um, yeah, that was a dark time. It was a very dark time. Um, you know, and the, I remember sitting in the park with my daughter. My daughter's always been sort of a healer for other people. And, uh, you know, um, I got into a habit of taking a, a paper and pen everywhere. And that's how I wrote most of this book. It just took me a long time to step over that fear. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, I remember sitting in the, in the park after that, watching a play and having a, I don't know, I don't know about a light bulb moment or a eureka moment. It wasn't that. It was just a moment of clarity. Um, and I knew that I would probably never put myself in that position again. And although when I was in the hospital, it was a very dark time. You know, the way my head was, it was, you know, I didn't want to eat. That that was my form of suicide. But, um, you know, um, I don't want to make this too much about me, but I would like to read. Uh, uh, this is the first poem I ever uh, read on video, and I read it for my next door neighbor, Rob, for his, um, his podcast that he does called The Hedge at Home, where he gets performers in. And he, he, he's the one that really started me on this journey. Um, and it, it was, um, you know, I, I, I chose it because it was the first moment of clarity that I'd had in such a long time. Um, and it's, it still is the most sort of the closest bit of clarity that I've ever had. Uh, and I still think about it. You know, um, I do. I, I, I still think about it a lot because I could, it could have been so much worse. So, so much worse. Yeah, I mean, I've pretty much lost everything, but I've, I've got it back. <clears throat> so so just, just quickly on that point where you find that poem. So so just to, just to reiterate what you said. So life was really, really bad. It was yeah. at its worst. Yeah. But then you just said it could have been worse. Oh, yeah. You, you know, I... So, so, I so, you, so there's that acknowledgement that even though you was in the crappiest place, the lowest place, it still could have been worse. That, that's amazing. There's rock bottom and then there's rock bottom. I've reached several places of rock bottom. The biggest rock bottom, rock bottom I ever hit was in the hospital. Um, but, you know, my life had started to get better. I'd met Joe. I was rebuilding my life, you know, and, and for that year or so, 
before the whole ordeal. You know, it, it was wasn't peachy creamy, wasn't always easy. You know, um, but it was um, it was better. Um, it could have been a hell of a lot worse, and I could have been, you know, I could be dead by now, or I could still be on the streets. I, you know, I, I don't even think twice about that anymore. But um, yeah, I think, I, think is, I mean, there's a reason I said that is because sometimes it's about the reason I brought that up is a bit is about that sense of perspective uh, yeah. and perception as well because you know when you're in that state of I want to end it all your perspective is I've got nothing going for me this is the worst place ever I've ever been in and, and again reality says well actually you've probably been in a lot worse scrapes and survive those oh yeah I mean you know there's I mean, been and several close things but yeah, this is called Playground Battleground, and it's um, I'd taken my daughter to the park, and I was watching a play. Now, my daughter, for me, uh, Reagan, she's always been my centre, my balance, the one that's always brought the healing, even to her own sort of personal, you know, she's always been a, a proper daddy's girl, um, you know. It's called Playground Battleground, and it's it's watching her play um, in uh, the park. Uh, I can't remember what the park is called. But it's uh, between the uh, between the UEA and going the city way. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but I think it's Wensum Park or something like that, mm. or Highland Park, one of the two. Um, yeah, playground battleground, the sun shining, burning brightly on this gentle July afternoon. Heat kisses the back of my neck, yet the slow, soft summer breeze cools the skin on my aging face, and it feels nice, so nice. So there I sit silently, my gaze fixed upon her beauty, and she dances to the playful tune of childhood, skipping and laughing. She, away on her travels, her imagination working overtime, having an adventure in her own personal wonderland. So I wear a look of pride and love upon my face, a look that every doting father will wear. Playground now full. Other children joyfully playing in their own childhood songs as their parents look upon them with a similar gaze to my own. So I smile. Yet as she plays, she plays alone and sadness begins, my, begins to haze my view. And she smiles. And I wonder why. Her playful spirit now interrupted she is taken away from her wonderland in one fleeting moment as she rushes to the aid of an injured child. To her, in her mind, is an injured comrade fallen in the battle of the playground war, wounded, his knee grazed, he shaking, crying, and filled with fear. And she, ever caring, her instinct overtakes and she looks upon her fallen friend with the same loving stare I have seen so many times before. The same loving look she gave her father 
on all too many times before. It's empathy personified, her words wide, reassuring, calming, and healing comes as it always does, as she smiles, is crying now a gentle sob and his fear begins to subside, and she is so old, the one so young. And she gazes lovingly at his tear-stained, dirty face. Her smile turns into a grin and she softly says, wanna play? She takes him by the hand, friend now for the lifetime of her stay in the playground battleground. Now in reality, she may never see him again when daddy takes her home. Yet she smiles and I still wonder why. So there I sit peacefully for the first time in a long time, filled with pride and once again, I feel nice. It's so nice to feel nice. I think that's that's it for the just to feel nice, just to feel some part of normal when you when you've been in that zone, just that bit of normality, just the watching of the you know just to watch a child and knowing the knowing the blessings that you've got. You know, not necessarily being able to count them, but being able to see them playing out in front of you. I, I love, I, I, do you know what I mean? For, for me, I mean, that's a beautiful poem. And, and I've obviously, as a father, I can relate to that. But what I really loved was, was that last part, and you mentioned it, and that sense of feeling nice. And you say it as if, and I can totally relate to that. So it's that sense of, oh, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words to, to say it myself, but the feeling of nice is so rare. It, it's, and, and, and that breaks my heart, Jack. You know, I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking, I, I understand what that feels like. That, that sense of everything's so crappy that when something nice happens, it, 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 it's, it's amazing. And that's, and that's heartbreaking that it's that's the, that it's in the minority rather than i mean when you talk about the norm and the norm for us wasn't wasn't at all nice and also i heard that word you know the peace as well and and again you you highlight the word peace and again as if that's rarity so again, that, that tells me that sense of that lack of peace in, in your life. And, you know, I'm not just pointing your, your, at you, I'm talking about mine. And, and that sense of lack of noise in our life. Jack, that's, that's blooming heartbreaking. Mm. You know, um, it's not all been peachy creamy. It's, it's been difficult at times, but we learn, we live and we learn. Um, you know, I'm a... I'm a different person to what I was. Um, you know, it's, it's like when something of value breaks in Japan, it's repaired with gold. And I think that there are memories um, and people that are the gold. And although our heart might feel broken, they are the gold that can put it back together. 
my faith means a lot to me, um, you know, and, and having a God in my life means a, a lot to me. And that's a big part of my journey. My marriage is a, a big part of my journey. And my marriage means a great deal to me. My children mean a great deal to me. So, you know, I don't think for one minute that I can't lose this because I know I can. One foot wrong, I, I, I could lose it. Um, I suppose that keeps me humble, it keeps me honest, and it keeps me blessed. Um, you know. I want to, if, if you don't mind me saying, I want to come back to that, to, to, to that bowl thing. And I'll tell you why, is because, I mean, three three years ago, four years ago, my marriage went went to pot. Um, I had so much debts. I was also living in a little bed sit. My, my life had gone from pretty pretty good to, to to pick bottom and and i had this vision of feeling so blooming broken like like pottery pieces as you said so broken and i was like well who who would want me and and i'm no use to anybody and then in this in that moment i had this vision of of this pottery being put back together knitted with gold and i thought it was so bizarre and this little voice said well look you know i know that you're broken but you're my broken pot and I'm going to put you together with gold. And I never shared that with anybody. And then a friend said to mine, said, said to me about a day later, and I was talking to them about this sense of feeling broken. And they said, have you heard of this Kintsugi? I was like, never heard of that. And they said, well, go and check it out and blow me down. And there was this bowl, broken China put together with gold. And then of course, you know, you mentioned that as well. And I, and I think it's amazing, isn't it? That, even in our most brokenness, we can still feel wanted. Um, and that comes back to your story about, you know, you, how, how you met Joe as well, that even in our very lowest of place and our brokenness, love can still be found. And, and I find that really bizarre. Yeah, I wasn't looking for it. It just kind of jumped out, didn't it? But, um, you know, it can, it, it is there. You know, it might sound corny, but it, but, but it is there. And, it, it, you know, I, I, I guess that's what, that was all part of God's plan, whatever that was. Um, whatever that still is, I don't know. It, it's changing on a daily basis. But, um, you know, um, he seems to be pushing me into a sort of role of education. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thankful for that. Even though I've sort of been through the mail and really struggled, um, I don't think that struggle has been for nothing. I think it's made me the sort of person that I am today. You know, I was having a conversation with my daughter. Um, you know, there are people out there that really don't think that you, you can change um, if you've lived a certain way of life and, and you know, has your um has your view of love or your perception of love or your experience of love changed over the years, Jack? Because I imagine that in your in your earlier years, it must have been totally different to what it is now. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you have a better relationship with yourself? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm I'm comfortable with myself. I'm comfortable in my own body. Um, you know, which I never was before. Um, I didn't know who I was. I really didn't know who I was. And I searched for years, which is why I pretended to be other people. Um, you know, it's why I lived a life of lies. I lived a life of 
just pain and it was my own pain. Um, these things, yes, they did they contribute to any of the suicide attempts? Yes, they did. Am I better for it? Am I a better person? Am I a better man for it? Thank you, my darling. Um, undoubtedly. You know, I've learned a lot from the life that I've lived. Um, and, you know, I've become a, a different person. But that is what, you know, in a biblical sense, that's, that's what it says, that when you... Um, you it's know, kind of ironic that we're kind of talking about this at Easter time, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, that's the whole kind of Christ story, isn't it, about death and resurrection and, and a whole new body. Mm. And the whole kind of... And I, I don't want to turn this into a religious thing, but it, it, it's a, that sense of forgiveness is, is huge, isn't it, at this time of the year? Um, forgiveness of, of, of sin. I mean, we talk about the forgiveness of sins, but let's just talk about the, the whole sense of forgiveness, um, I mean, have you struggled with forgiveness before? Oh, and unforgiveness, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's what yeah. I mean. And was that unforgiveness of yourself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I, you know, I've said this in in several interviews. I was the sort of person that had a nemesis. No normal person has a nemesis. No normal person has an arch enemy. But I had these, you know. Um, there are people that have done some great wrong in my life that has really affected me. There are people that have done things that not realised that's affected me. There are people that have done a great deal of wrong to and hurt um, intentionally and unintentionally in my past. And I, the whole, I now know that the whole thing about me being in the hospital and having this spiritual breakdown and the whole way that I convinced myself that the world was against me and that God was against me was down to unforgiveness and guilt and shame. And unforgiveness is like drinking poison, but expecting the other person to die from it. You know, um, to me, it's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. There are people that are going to hate you. There are people out there. There are people in my town that really don't like me. Um, but I used to let that get into my head. Um, but actually practicing forgiveness, um, forgiving myself for my past, for my actions, for some of the words that I've used, um, it was the hardest thing to do. It really is hard. Um, and it's caused a lot of tears, um, a lot of pain. But at the end of the day, it's something that we need to look at. You know, it is something that we need to look at. Because, because I know, Christian or not, unforgiveness. It, it's, it's absolutely, ugly. it's absolutely huge, isn't it? And, and I'm glad that we kind of mentioned it as well because. Um, and also within the Christian circles, you know, you talk about, oh, forgive others as you want to be, forgive yourself. It's not that bloody easy. And and I wish almost we could get taught 
Well, how do you how do you do that realistically? How do you mentally forgive somebody? How do you spiritually forgive somebody? How do you forgive yourself? I mean, it's quite it's okay saying it in like the Lord's Prayer or something, but the reality is completely different. Yeah, I mean, the Lord's Prayer is a good one. Um, the Serenity Prayer is a better one because it can be said in any sort of you, you know way, whether it's grit or teeth, um, whether it's shouting or whether it's said in thankfulness. You know. It's that whole God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Powerful, isn't it? You know, it's that. But it is also the practicing of forgiveness is cleansing. It is it's soul cleansing and it, it just it's so hard to do. So hard to do, you know. Um I lost my niece, a uh, two-day-old niece, a, uh, a few years ago. It's quite a, viol- a very violent act. Um, and then we lost her, her father due to that, because, you, you know, um, I'm not going to go too far into it, um, you know, but I hated that man. I could not forgive. I could not forgive. But then I was told the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's powerful, um, isn't it? And the hiding place. And Corrie Ten Boom was a, a woman, a watchmaker's daughter, who was um, taken along with her family and put into one of the worst concentration camps in Europe. And, you know, her sister was raped by SS guards and she was and she found a place on the, uh, you, 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 you know, and she, she hid, she hid young women away from these monsters. She saved their lives. And years later, she was, you know, getting old. By then, she was in her 80s, and she was giving a talk. And one of the worst guards at that worst concentration camp was in for her talk. And afterwards, he went up to her, and she recognised him straight away. And she just got filled with hate. And he said... My name is whatever it was, and you know I was one of the worst guards on that concentration camp, and I did a great deal of wrong to a lot of people, including you. I found Jesus, and I found God in my life. Can you please forgive me? And she thought, no, I can't forgive the hate, the personal stuff that he did to me and my family. I can't forgive that violence that he did God can and she hugged him and she forgave him that was brave that was courage Um, I've forgiven him I've forgiven people in my life I've forgiven the perpetrators in my life that have hurt me I've forgiven those that that, that that abuse me. 
I've forgiven the boys from school because all these things I I used on, they were all fodder for that, all fodder for that, you know. And um, God took that away. I believe, you know, that my higher power, I choose to call God, took that away. And I do work at a, a program of recovery. It's not always easy. There are ups and downs, but, you know, I'm still here. Um, you know. So I'd like to know more about you, mate. Well, I, want, I wanted to bring up that sense of um, that self-loathing as well, because, again, that's one of the reasons why I think um, it's one of the kind of um, the pathways of, of suicide, isn't it? Because you kind of get, like you said, you kind of enter this mental space of, of um, nothing's worth living for. I hate myself. Everybody else hates me. So I may as well just go anyway. I mean, what's the point in staying around if everybody hates me? You know, and, and there's that sense of lots of unforgiveness in, in yourself. Um, and, 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 that's, and, and that's quite hard. But um, I remember um, standing on top of a, I think it was a 14 story block of flats. You don't get many blocks of flats these days, but um, a 14 story block of flats. And there was me and my friend and he just had a beating from his dad. His dad <clears throat> used to give him a shopping, we call him a shopping list. So his old man gave him a shopping list, said, right, I want you to go and pinch this, this and this and this. And if you don't, you're going to get a beating. And um, he'd just come back from having a beating. And, uh, you know, we said to each other, you know, let's go to the top of the roof, you know, just to go and hang out, you know. And, and we're just sharing just like our life stories with each other. I mean, we're only young kids, you know, about 19, 18, something like that. And he was telling me how much his dad used to beat him. And then as we talked about these stories, we ended up getting closer and closer to the edge of the roof. And we stood on top of this edge of the roof and we were looking, we were looking down <clears throat> for quite a while. And we kind of looked at each other and it's almost like we knew what each other was thinking. And at that moment, we were literally seconds away from, from jumping. And um, because we've been out there for quite a while, we're attracting quite a crowd down below, but <clears throat> I suppose it kind of just added a little bit of tension to it. But I remember standing on the edge and I was literally that close to jumping and I heard this voice and it was very bizarre, Jack, because I mean, people with mental health are known to have voices in their heads, but I've never really had voices in my head until this moment. And it says, and I remember it clear as day and it said, don't jump. I love you. I mean, that is just messed up. Like, where the hell did that come from? Because it's not something I'd tell myself because I hated myself. So where on earth did it? Where on earth did it come from? And it's almost like this wind just went past and says, don't jump, I love you. And I was like, what, what, what on earth? But it was enough to stop me at that moment. And so I did, I stepped back. And, um, and that day I saved my friend's life as well, because I said to him, you know, yeah, life is crap, but we'll get through this. We will get, we will get through this. And, um, and, and we did, you know. Um, but again, you know, like life happens and relationships is one of those things, isn't it? That, that seem to get us, especially men, I think it gets us every time. And, um, and I think for me, my worst part, I think was, um, when my marriage ended 
that was very hard. And you, you've heard the guy, Tony Robbins, right? Yeah. And um, <laughs> I remember him saying this phrase, and I wanted to punch his lights out for this, because he said, he said, the worst day in your life, he said, will be the best day of your life. And I was thinking, what an absolute arsehole, <laughs> right? What an absolute, <laughs> what an absolute tool, because the worst day of your life is, is fucking the worst day of your life, right? And it's only now in this place can I say, do you know what? That day was the best day of my life because actually it, losing everything made me realize what I had. And, and it was at that stage, I was like, Steve, you know, you really need to sort your life out. You know, you've been hiding, you, you've not been yourself. You've kept secrets that weren't yours to keep. You know, other people have done stuff to you. You've held that in, you know, you haven't talked about it. You've protected them because you've taken stuff out on yourself rather than hurt other people. You know, you've, you've cut yourself, you've starved yourself. You know what I mean? Really, really beating yourself up. Um, and so I went through that massive process of, well, who am I? What is it that I want in my life? What is it that I don't want in my life? What are the people I've got around me? Who are really with me? Who are really supporting me? Um, and so, yeah, I went, I went through that process. And it was a massive grieving process because then it was a case of, crap, I don't actually know who I am anymore. Because when you're in a relationship, you've got that I'm in a relationship thing. I am a father, I am a, a partner, I am I'm in a job, that becomes your identity. And suddenly when you have everything taken away from you, what the hell have you got left? And so what I started doing was I started planning my own death. So um, <clears throat> I came into a bit of money. And so the first thing I did, which is a bit morbid, was to plan my own funeral. Um, and my parents hated me for it because they, they thought, well, what on earth are you doing? But it's the most peaceful thing I've ever done in my life. And so I went down the funeral parlor. I paid for everything, you know, from the coffin to what I wanted. And um, and when I finished the process, you know, I'd got my little fold together of, I, I did my will as well. So I've got my will in place. I got my funeral in place. Who's going to get what, what I want to leave behind. And then something strange happened. Instead of wanting to die, I actually wanted to live. And that's the, and I swear to you, God, and I swear to God, I swear to you, Jack, that was the first time, probably in my whole life, I'm 42 now, that I actually wanted to live. The first time. And I came back to this, there's a verse I was given like many years ago, and it says, um, I have come to bring life, life in all its fullness. So I said, all right, then you show me what, what this means. because I certainly wasn't living life. I wasn't experiencing life. I was just merely existing. Yeah. I didn't have a life. You know, it was, it was full of little shiny objects that were just masks and illusions and smoke mirrors that I could hide behind and I could blame other people if stuff went wrong. And, and I did, I blamed lots of people, Jack. I was, because it was easier than, than facing up to stuff. And there's another, I mean, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to turn this into like two preachers, but there's another verse that helps me. And it says, the truth shall set you free. And I've spent a lot, of, a lot of years soul searching now, finding out what are the truths and what are the lies, what are the lies that have been said over me. 
um, and and, to, and getting rid of those because I'm, I'm sure like 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 yourself, you've had lots of people have lied about you, and that's that's damaged yeah. you a lot. But I think the most damage comes from lying about yourself. Yeah, def de definitely. You, you know, it's like I was. Uh, I seen somebody the other day. Uh, you know, we have a perception of who we are, and when we hear our voice on a tape, or when we see ourselves in a mirror, um, you know, or we see ourselves on a on film. It almost seems disembodied. It doesn't quite seem like us. It doesn't feel like us because we have a, a notion of how we look. And that is largely based on how we feel. If you feel like crap, you're going to look like crap. Yeah, so, sure. you know, and it's that, you, you, you know, the lies that you tell yourself, like you said, you know, and it's identity. The, the one thing that mental health, um, mental illness does to you, um, the one thing that suicide does to you, you know, um, is robs you of your identity, who you are. It, it, it strips you back. So, you know, drug use, um, abuse of any kind, you know, um, self-abuse, um, self-sabotage, it robs you of your true identity, right? So what we are seeing is not what we are feeling and we're reflecting that so we're not only reflecting that to other people we're reflecting that to ourselves so it's it's, it's kind of coming back and and that's why we feel kind of disembodied we were the victims of our own circumstances then we learned to deal with that and we became the survivors and that became happenstance um but you know survivorship is a whole other subject you know and we can stay in that for the, the whole of our lives yeah yeah you know we become a survivor we learn to survive so we're no longer just living we're just surviving and that's not life at all um you, you know to, to to a lot of people um you know to some survivorship is about taking some of that identity back, which is which is fantastic. But surely the next discernible step is to thrive, uh -huh. and that's what this is. That's what you you know why I you know I started these these talks. It's why I started getting people like you on. It's why I started talking about the things that not a lot of other people talk about. And I might lose some people on here tonight. You know, I might lose some followers. I probably will do. You know, I might gain some. If I'm getting through to one person, you know, that's my job done. I hope to get through yeah. tomorrow, but that one person, yeah. that's my job done. And, you know, our identity is constantly changing the more we learn and the more we grow, you know. And the, um, the, the other thing that you said earlier on, Jack, and, and, I, and I love this because this is something I've struggled with, is you use the word purpose. How, how important is purpose? Well, it's nice. To, you, you know, it's, it's good to have purpose, isn't it? You know, we all want to feel like we're 
needed, like we're important. Um, and we are. We are. You know, there are times when we don't feel like we are, and there are times when we feel like we're not worthy. But we are. And, you know, that is the, the biggest thing about, you know, God, um, Jesus, spirituality, um, religion, whatever you want to call it, for me, is that when I died and I was brought back, I, um, I, I took Jesus into my life, got into my life. I was reborn another person that old me was dead the new me has come i have purpose in my life i have marriage i have my children um i have education that i you know want to get across i have this um you know i'm very very blessed in the way that my life has gone over the past six years um you know, and like it's been quite a journey. Even even since I've known you, you've gone through a journey, haven't you? I mean, you know, from the start of, of, of your book to writing another book to looking at doing your film to doing your podcast. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of help. What, a roller coaster well. ride. Yeah, it has been. It's a massive roller coaster, but I've had a lot of help, to be honest. You know, I'm still dyslexic at the end of the day. Um, you know, I, I still struggle with that. Um, I've had a lot of help. I've been very blessed with the people that are around me. Um, you know, uh, I don't. Biggest thing for me is that I don't make money from it. I, you know, um, this is just—it's a gift because what I've been given, what you've been given, is a massive gift. We have life. We I, take that. I, I mean that that whole kind of um, making making money from our story thing. I mean that that's been something on my mind because um, you know a lot of coaches and stuff like that they they sell their packages and stuff and therapists for quite a bit of money. Now I've struggled doing that. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you because I I feel like what I've got to offer is my give back, my 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 ministry if you if you like of you know. Other people have been there for me, so I want to be there for for them. And and I can't put a price on that. And some people say, well, Steve, but you can put a price on them because if you're helping them, they're going to be grateful and they want to pay that back to you. And I do get paid back in other ways. But I, again, I've struggled with the whole earning earning money from it. And I don't know if that's that sense of worth. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not, I'm not too sure. Um, but but it's in, but it's interesting that that you that you brought that up. Um, because that kind of that kind of ties in with that whole kind of sense of value and that sense of worth, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean the life that I have been given is a massive, massive gift. Um, you know, I don't even kid myself about that. It's a massive gift. You know, I could be dead. Um, I could be still homeless. I my life could be so much different. And I've been given the gift of a different life. I've been given a gift to be able to um, speak to people and, and, and get my words across. In certain ways, I, I struggle getting them down on paper at times, but, you know. Can I, can I ask you a personal question, Jack? Yeah. And 
I feel like we should be doing this off camera, but are you ever scared that you might end up back down that road? That you might end up homeless, that you might end up penniless, you might do you ever do you ever get scared that you might because for me I kind of think of that that matrix moment of the red pill, the blue pill. And are you ever scared that that could still happen to you? At the back of my mind, it's there. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I might come across as confident sometimes, and I might come across as I know what I'm saying and what I'm doing, uh, and sometimes I do. But sometimes you know when the black dog starts barking in your face, yeah. and you, you know you just can't hear anything but that, that growl, that, that deep, you know, and you can't feel anything other than that breath on your face, and you just it's it's like a, a not even a fog or a mist. It's just like darkness. Just it's like a numbness, isn't it? When you get there, you get there. And I'm not saying that it's all been peachy keen because I've had some dark, dark days, you know. Um, but my life is my life is a gift. And when you learn that your life is a gift. You learn to treat it with a bit gentler, I suppose. Because sometimes we go out and we buy our own stuff, yeah, and we handle it in the ways that we would handle it, and it gets scratched and it gets beaten and it gets chipped or whatever, but it doesn't matter because it's ours. Um, but then we borrow somebody else's stuff and we handle it softer, and we treat it nicer, and we clean it, and, you know. So, oh, you know, and when it's a gift and it's given to us, we, we, we get that emotional attachment. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I now have an emotional attachment to my life, whereas I didn't necessarily before at certain parts. Um, I have an emotional attachment to my, obviously to my family um, and, you know, it's, it's not all about things. I, I have some nice things, you know, I have a shed, I have my VHS. It's easy to get. It's easy to get caught up in day to day things, and it's easy to get caught up in in life, and it's easy to let the negatives impact you. But um, what's not easy is to take hold of the identity that we have, uh, and, and and the children that we have become the children of God and you know, who we are in, in our communities and who we are in our friendship group, you know, um, who our friendship group is to, to an extent, you know. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a saying, isn't there, that you are the five people around you or something like that. Um, and that is so important, isn't it? To, to so, I mean, it sounds very really cliche, doesn't it? I, 
when I hear myself saying this, I'm like, you sound such an idiot, but there's truth in that. Who you surround yourself is doesn't matter because if you surround yourself with good people, that will affect you. If you surround yourself with people who are going to just, um, you know, backstab each other, they're full of drama, full of chaos, wanting to get at you, then that's going to affect you as well, like little viruses, aren't they? Mm. Or if you surround yourself with people who are, um, you know, mentors, like, do, do you know what I mean? And so they'll challenge you and they'll stretch you. Um, and that comes back to identity as well, isn't it? Because once you're taken away from those um, less than ideal characters, it's like, well, what, what am I supposed to do in my life now? Mm. Um, I think once you realise that you are not the decisions that you have made, you're not the bad, you know, you're not the bad decisions that you have made, you're not the sins that you have committed, you are not the crimes that you have committed, you're not the bad decisions that you've made, you know, uh, the um, you're not the bad things that you might have done and lived. You're not the people that you've hurt. You know, you are, firstly and foremost, child of God. You're not that negative. Yeah, so much more. You're not what you were. I've done some pretty awful things in my life. I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. I've lost loved ones through my behaviour. Um, I have regrets. We all have regrets. But... I can't change my past. I can't shut the door on it. I can't put it to one side. I think that if we have lived a certain way of life, if we have done certain things in our life, if we have treated people in a certain way uh, and we have found a new way of life, which is what it is, then we have a duty to educate. You know, um, if um, if there are people watching this who are in a really really bad bad place, um, obviously you've been there. I've been there. What advice would you give them if you were literally face to face with them now? Well, I mean, pretty much what I just said. You are not the sum of your fears. You are not. You are not the negative that you have lived. You know the things that we've done in the past have often been done out of ignorance. Yeah. I like but that. I like, I like that you said that. Looking at it now and even just aspiring to change, even if that's just one thing, one routine, even if that's just seeking help, even if that's just picking up the phone, even if that's just somebody saying, you're all right. And you're going, actually, no, I'm not. Even if that's just telling yourself one truth instead of 10 lies, even if that's just changing one routine, it matters. It does. It does very much. You matter. Very much. Yeah, that's and, right. You know, you matter more than anything. Because I think, know. you know, overwhelm gets to us, doesn't it? 
because because you know we take on too much stuff overwhelm gets to us but what you said is very important there um because all you've got to do is just change one element just choose one just choose one you know one that you struggle with the most and just just work at changing that bit and then once you've got to that level you can look at another bit and then you can look at another bit you don't have to do it all at once because people oh. people often think oh that's it you know this is my life here I've got to literally go to the second hand shop, swap it or whatever. Jobs are good in. No, it doesn't work that way. You know, you, you can't no. literally go into hypnotherapy and go, bish, bash, bosh, right, you're now healed. Or No, it, it, it don't work it like that. It doesn't work like that at all. But um, it, is a, it is a process. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because that, that that's absolutely superb. Just choose one thing. I see it like a computer. I see the life, our routine, our, you know, the way that we live. It's like a computer. And when you get a computer, it's got Windows on it. It's got the software installed. It's got ha certain hardware installed. And often it's just plug and play. But there are things that happen. There are things that we do. There are places that we go um, on the internet. There are places that we go in life that, you know, um, things happen. Um, viruses things get changed settings get changed we customize it because we want to customize our life we set hotkeys we, we we do all this that you, you know for me that's how you know the best that i can think um sometimes what we have to do is reset back to the default settings reset that default go back to factory settings because we're not made to be these up to messy headed people that just wander around aimlessly looking for some sort of purpose we are made uh, for connection we're made for connection with god we're made for connection with other people we're made for families um, the people that we choose to have around us, they become our family. The communities become our families. The churches, they become our families. And sometimes, you know, um, talking to God, um, your higher power, you, you know, I'm not even going to try and force God down, down, down anybody's throat. You know, whatever your God may be, whoever your God may be, you know, um, sometimes it's just talking to him. Sometimes it's just that prayer, that clicking into that antivirus. And then once, you, you know, then, then it's going into cleaning the cache. So it's, it's looking at things like gratitude lists, um, you know, uh, making amends to people wherever possible, except once you do so, would injure them or others, you know. And it's about cleaning up your life getting clean is, is is not cleaning up your life getting clean is the first step to cleaning up your life and it's the biggest step and it's the hardest step but you know whether that's from drugs or you know bad thoughts or what it's it's the same principle so you know and sometimes your computer just gets so full of crap you just think actually or your phone need to reset back to factory settings reset that default mm -hmm. you know and start again 
whether it's four o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the afternoon, a day at a time is sometimes a moment at a time, a step at a time, a breath at a time, a thought at a time. And when you've had a head your whole life that's been full of thoughts a thousand times a minute, and then you finally start to get some peace and it starts to subside, you know, that's when you can start setting your computer back up to what you need it as. And there's something something quite beautiful about that blank page, isn't it, and starting again. I I think that's amazing. Absolutely. That, that, That sense of doing that is overwhelmingly beautiful. Because not everybody gets that opportunity. Well, you know, I'll get that blank slate. No, um, no, we don't. And 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 I think, but just to say, you know, if anybody's watching this, thinking, do you know what? I I can never, I can never go to that factory reset. I can never um, have this blank page. I can never start again. Just to say that actually, you know, you can have that. You know, it's going to take work. It's going to take a lot of hard work. And you're going to need a lot of support around you, but it is possible. I remember sitting in a drug den, off me nut. I couldn't live the way that I was living anymore. I was losing my sanity. I was losing my family. And I said, God, if you really do exist, If I am really your child, if you really care, take away this thirst. Take away this hunger I've got for drugs. Take away this pain. Because I can't. Mm -hmm. Step one. Admitting that no human power. I couldn't do it on my own. You know, I was an addict. I am an addict. Not just addicted to drugs, but addicted to a certain way of life. Addicted to certain behaviours. Self-satisfaction, greed, whatever. You know, if it was bad for me, I'd be into it. When I was in that zone, I hurt a lot of people. And there are, you know, there are people that will never, ever forgive me. Uh, And, you know, I can't forgive myself for some. God can. Like I said, with Corrie Ten Boone and her story. I might not be able to forgive. But God can, and that's good enough for me. Because, you know, I couldn't do this alone. So many tries, I... So many times I I tried to do it alone, I'd go it alone, and I would fail and I'd end up back at some other rock bottom. And every time I hit a rock bottom, I would go further and further into the ground. You know, my rock bottom would get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, and I I, I couldn't get out. I couldn't get out. Uh, But at at some point, though, that self-destruction has got to stop. At some point. It has. 
it has to stop otherwise because even even when you're in that bad place you still got some element of control to a degree but at any point that could just be taken away from you mm. you can you can but um you know self-control is a gift and it's something a gift that i didn't have it's a gift that i've now been given um you know and there are times when i can get into things so deeply and i can let my head go into it and i have to take a step back i do i have to take a step back because it's that old behavior you know like i say there are people out there that will never believe that this leopard can change his old spots there are people out there that think that I will still be the same old person that I was. Well, um, well, that's their right. Well, love, I've got, to, I've got to say this, Jack, because I've heard that phrase so many times and that really pisses me off. And I hate bad language, but that really pisses me off when people say that a leopard can't change its spots. And, and, and no, they, it can't because a leopard is a bloody leopard. But Jack, we're not leopards. No. We're blinking human beings. Yeah, and... That's the point. And and love can change people, and it does change people. It does. But, you know, it takes self-love to do that as it well. It does. It does, 100%. You know, we love ourselves. How can we love other people? 100%. And, and we can change, and people do change. And I think that's it's important to know that and tell ourselves that as well, that, you know, we have yeah. that capacity to change. Yeah. And you know what? The people out there that don't think that we can change, that's their right. Um, can I blame them? No. Do I blame them? No. Um, can I forgive them? I think I probably can. Um, what other people think about us, this is what we need to get embedded. What other people think about us is none of our damn business. Yeah. I'll say I've that again. That so many times recently. Yeah. What other people think about us is none of our damn business. Yeah. Right. It's nice that people give us compliments and it's nice that people say this and nice that people say that. But it also goes the other way on the negative. Right. If people don't like me, it used to really bother me. And that used to set my mental illness off worse and worse. I think, well, why don't people like me? Well, you know, yeah, it's the old self-esteem and the old ego. And stuff. You beat, you beat his dad up. That's why you don't like you. Mm. You know, um, you smashed his car window. That's why you don't like you. You just shouted in his face and held him up against the wall. That's why he doesn't like you. But my head, excuse me, wouldn't wouldn't make that connection. And I used to be really bothered why people didn't like me. And I used to chase that just a recognition and I think on, on that what, you know when, when I read the poem about um, my daughter that breakdown before that all I wanted all I wanted was somebody to just recognise that I was hurting wow recognise that I was in so much pain to recognize that I could not man up to recognize that 
you know, I was, I was just, I was ill. And when somebody did recognize that, that's when I started looking at myself. That's when I started getting better. Because like I say, we're made for connection. We're not made to be alone. You know, we're not made to walk this earth and be like the bloke from highway to heaven. We, you know, we're not here to, you, you know, just for ourselves. We're here for connection with other people, with family, with friends, you know. And, and I think that's, I think you hit the nail on the head there um about that sense of when people are in that place that you know bringing it back to the, the topic of suicide is recognizing that people are so hurt that they're saying look i need you to recognize i'm so hurt here and i don't know what to do about it and especially for us men because we're fixers right we like whether we can or we can't do it we like to think that we can mm. but when we can't fix it it messes with our head completely and, and and admitting that we need help is a massive dent to our ego, to our male ego. Yeah. And so when we can't do that, when we can't fix other people, when we can't fix ourselves, the only thing we're going to do is just self-destruct. But that's a toxic way to think. That's a toxic way to. Yeah, live. I mean, it, to it, it, it totally is. And and then you know. So, do, do you know what? This interview has made me realise that actually recognizing our own hurt has helped us recognize other people's hurt. And actually we're in a beautiful position to help other people now, only now, because we've been through that. We still go through that. We've not only survived, but we have thrived. I mean, I've seen you thrive, Jack. I mean, sometimes just don't feel like it, right? But Amazing grace, my friend. <laughs> it is. That's what we said earlier, isn't it? It's like, um, you know, to... I guess that, you know, I am incredibly blessed to be brain damaged you know because like I said I used to think and feel really deeply why people didn't like me and that would upset me to the point where I would start upsetting other people um, because I, I, I couldn't understand but since the brain damage I really struggle with um, visible signs of um, emotion so um, I can um, you know I used to be quite empathic but um, you know I, I guess I, I, I guess I still am to a point but it's from it's kind of like muscle memory I remember how I was but I can do it without it sort mm -hmm. of affecting me here too much now uh, there are times when it does and i have to step away um but you know it i, I am 
unless somebody is physically laughing and, you know, rolling around belly laugh or crying, I can't tell the facial cues in between. So I really struggle with that um, because I don't know whether someone's angry at me. I don't know whether I've done something wrong, said something wrong. Um, I struggle with tone. Um, I definitely struggle reading it. Um, so, you know, I deal with it by kind of using that muscle memory and thinking, well, this is how I would have felt. So imagine how they're feeling. And that's where I get my levels from. And I guess it's kind of been a, been a blessing to a point. Because I don't feel as, as deep. I still get upset, of course I do. Um, I still have emotional breakdowns at, at times. I still cry like a girl at films. You know, um, my kids had Endgame on earlier and the bit where Tony Stark and all that, and then, then, then that, I was in floods. <laughs> That's um, understandable, though. He was, you know, I, I think even, I think a lot of people cried at that, at that film. I did that in the cinema, but that's because I can recognise my vulnerability. I'm vulnerable. Being vulnerable used to be a weakness um, because I saw vulnerability as weakness because of that toxic masculinity yeah, yeah. I had going in my life. You know, I realised that men can cry. I mean, you're, you're a fan of like the Marvel films and the DC films. Yeah. And what I find fascinating with all, all of the heroes, you name me, whoever, it doesn't matter what their superpowers are. They've still got their own weaknesses and their own vulnerabilities. Hmm. And, that, and, that, and that amazes me. And even, and even Superman, who was blooming Superman, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't stop certain things either. Allergic to his home planet, you know what I mean? Like definitely allergic to his home planet. And 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 that's and that kind of serves as a reminder that yeah, we are we are vulnerable. But actually, do you know what I've learned as well? And I think you've probably learned this as well, is to embrace that vulnerability. Yes. Because actually we used to view it as a weakness, but actually that's a massive strength. Because when you start to in, engage with it, when you start to embrace it you start to recognize certain things and, uh, and you learn so much. You rather than being afraid of the vulnerability, you begin to embrace it and go, Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that about myself. Oh, I've learned something new here. Oh, I can deal with that now. Mm. Yeah. It's, so uh, you've almost got to be your own hero. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's self-awareness really, isn't it? Um, and, you know, self-love and self-understanding. Um, there are situations that I still don't understand. There are people that I still don't understand, and I don't think I ever will. You know, there are emotions that I don't understand, and there are emotions that I still struggle with. Um, I think I always will. But the difference is I've got the network. You know, I don't have to do it on my own. But, you know, I've got my wife who is very understanding. 
I've got uh, a network of people within my church whom I can speak to. I've got um, people that I can pick up the phone and speak to. I've got people that I can jump on Zoom and do face-to-face. Um, and, you know, I can sort of manage at life now. Don't always find it easy. You know, I might come across as being more confident than I was. and But I think, you know, I got used to wearing certain masks. Yeah. Putting on a facade. You know, just because I was holding somebody by the throat and putting them against the wall didn't mean that I wasn't scared. It meant that I was scared. Yeah. Um, and... You hurt them before they hurt you. Yeah, and I think the thing is for me, the guilt, the shame that ruled my life aren't there anymore. You know, once I got rid of those and once I started, you know, looking at a life without that guilt and shame, yeah, inevitably that's what caused the breakdown, that's when I started getting more coercive, I won't say better, I'll say more coercive. Um, you know, it's not, life ain't lighted down and it never will be, it, it ain't singing in the rain, it's, you know, life is full of surprises, it's full of pain, it's full of negative negativity, negative people, but it's also full of so much beauty it's also full of so much love it's also full of so much kindness even though it seems hidden at the moment and it seems that it's so far away you know i see so much hate on on facebook and on 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 things like that Uh, so many people falling out and god knows i've had my fallings out on facebook you know and i've used it to vent and you know, it's that it's that negativity. And I think that with that negativity comes a certain way of life. And, and if you're going to live in that, you're going to suffer. You're going to see yourself as, as, as different. I like who I see in the mirror at times, all the time. But, you know, I like the person that, I am becoming, I won't say become, because I'm changing on a daily basis. I like the life that I have, and I like to educate people, Mm -hmm. um, which is what I really want to do, educate people. because with the wisdom that I have been given, wisdom is free. Wisdom should always be free. So I've got libraries. Um, you know, it's relatively free on the internet. It's out there. If we need to know it, if we want to know it, it's out there somewhere. You shouldn't really have to pay for it. It's free. So I believe that if you're going back to what we said earlier, if we have an accumulated wisdom 
that we have learned because people have given it to us because they have lived the life and they're sort of paying it forward. That is our duty to do the same. Mm -hmm. That's why I do these. That's why I talk to people like me. That's why I talk about these sort of subjects because, you know, if you don't want to listen to it, you, you'll, you'll scroll on by. If you do, if you're in, in, in that thought process where you need to be, um, you know, you need to be in a certain way, then, you know, it's a, you know, it's a gift. We need, we need to be sharing it. I, I, th I think I also want to just remind people as well that um, you have mentioned this, that you don't have to be on your own anymore. Um, and usually when you're in a bad place, you think you are literally on your own. But just to remind people that you don't have to be on your own anymore, you know, mm. because you mentioned that we've got networks, um, you know, you've got networks, I've got networks, and it's so important to have that. Um, so even if we can't help personally, we've got people who can always help. Um, and there's no shame in that, in, in getting help. In fact, that's a, that's a sign of strength mm. and stuff. Um, it is. It is. It's the know, biggest not, step. Not afraid of that. It's the biggest step, you know. It's, you just, you, you know, you just got to know. If you're listening to this and you're in a certain place, I think we'll finish with this, mate, if that's all right. But, um, yeah, totally. And, and then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say my goodbyes, I'll put the feed and then we'll have a quick chat. Um, but... What I want to say is that if you're watching this and you some things have hit you tonight um, or tomorrow, well, whenever you watch this, if you're watching this on playback, um, if things have triggered you, because things do trigger, I, I you know, I acknowledge you are not the pain, but you are suffering. You are not made for that pain, even though you might feel you're tolerating it not made just to survive we're made to live i want you to know above all you are loved we're all loved by someone if you're watching this and you're feeling alone if you're watching this and you you're feeling like you want to end it pick up the phone Drop us a message or Stephen and I will be glad to point you, to signpost you, to help you, to speak to you. You know, if, if your message is through the, um, through the accidental journalist, know this, you're not alone and you are loved. You're loved by God and you're loved by me. And... I want to wish you all the best. And if, if you want help, you want signposting, I'll be glad to. I'm going to say good night. Um, I'm going to let Stephen say good night and then we'll cut the feed. Thank, thank you very much for, for this, Jack. And, and also just to wish people a, a happy Easter um, because it is Easter. So happy Easter, everybody. Yeah, happy Easter. Um, I shall see you for episode 16.
which is at the minute um, next Tuesday, and it is uh, filmmaker Vel and Lishka uh, from Huddersfield, uh, <laughs> my neck of the woods. Uh, if on you know, if I do get other people um, that want to come on, that, that really feel like they need a, 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 a voice, that, you know, they need a way to get their voice across, then you know, I'll be glad to help you do that. Um, so I will wish you good night and God bless. Good night.